our New Testament reading, and in fact, sermon text, as we continue to preach through the Gospel of Mark, is Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen! Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, make our ears attentive. Give us hearts of understanding, so that in hearing the word we may find Christ, life, peace, and knowledge of God. We ask that for some here, maybe for the first time, they hear the gospel as a treasure. And to many others, that they hear Christ by his word, and that you may, by your spirit, reveal to them what is keeping them from listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, as Pastor Ben mentioned, I'm not only the sound guy here, I am the other pastor. Um, and it's good to be with you as we continue to preach verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark as we endeavor as a church to be faithful to the scriptures. Um, really, everything we do we do it by teaching, um, and that's because we value theology. We try to be true to the Reformed faith because we think theology and teaching are 
um, the greatest assets we have in the church. This morning we consider the parable of the sower. A sower goes out to sow, goes out to plant. How hard is it to grow something? Now, if you've ever tried to garden, you probably know from personal experience it's very hard. Now, you might even say it's hard if you've had a particularly bad experience with indoor potted plants. But that might be because God did not intend plants to grow inside like that. You would certainly say it's hard work if you come from a farming background. Farmers, of course, work tirelessly and put everything in their lives on hold during planting and harvesting. However, in another sense, it's actually very easy to grow something, isn't it? You kind of just put seeds in the ground, and suddenly things start happening. Like magic, sprouts come up. And if you are having the experience the Kleins Garden did last summer, hundreds and hundreds of tomatoes follow later. And it seems for me personally, no matter what I do, I can't keep grass or weeds from growing in the cracks in my driveway. Life, it seems, or at least weeds, always find a way. Jesus appeals to these images, these familiar images of planting, of farming, of sowing and reaping in the parable of the sower. And Jesus tells this parable for a specific reason, not as an interesting illustration or as a confusing story, but to diagnose the state of everyone listening to him. Jesus is doing the work of an arborist. Do you know what an arborist is? I think it would be a very cool job to have, right? Uh, The internet actually uses the word tree surgeon to define the Latin word arborist. An arborist shows up when a tree looks unhealthy, when it looks like it's dying. Now, when they show up, the first thing they don't touch are the leaves. They don't touch the fruit. They don't touch the bark. Arborists begin by kneeling down and getting acquainted with the dirt around the tree. Because if the soil isn't healthy, then the tree can never be. And Jesus, the arborist of our souls, uses this parable to diagnose the way we hear, and if the way we hear can ever bear fruit. Jesus has come. His word is working powerfully today. But the question is, will it bear any fruit in you? Do you have the kinds of ears that can hear? Jesus this morning will give you his assessment. So the question for you, whether you take written notes, mental notes, digital notes, the question is, do I have the kind of life the word of God can bear fruit in? Do I have the kind of life that the word of God can bear fruit in? Because how you hear matters. This word listen and hear is repeated over and over, right? He begins the parable in verse 3 saying, listen. He ends the parable with one of his most common sayings, he who has ears, let him hear. He mentions hearing in verse 12, 15, 16, 18, 20, and in 24, which we'll read next week. The emphasis of the parable is on how you hear. How you hear the word of God matters and not Every way of listening is created equal. I'm a great listener in one sense. Uh, I can multitask. I can look at my phone and still hear my wife or someone else talk to me. 
And in another sense, that makes me a horrible listener. Because whatever I'm doing, that kind of listening doesn't always cut it, does it? At least whatever it does, does not build a relationship while I listen. Jesus here will tell us it matters how we listen because his word is how he builds his kingdom. Second, how we hear matters because how we respond to that word is how we respond to God. And finally, as I mentioned, how we hear matters because not all hearing is equal. First, think about the parable. Jesus tells this parable because he brings his kingdom through his word. Jesus tells this parable and the other parables of chapter 4 to explain to his audience how the kingdom of God works. You see, everyone listening to Jesus knew they were waiting for something to happen. That's why the crowds are clamoring to get near him. They're waiting for God's kingdom to manifest. Ever since the first sin, ever since everything went wrong in the world, God's reign was challenged. These people, his chosen people, had been ruled by pagan oppressors for generations. They knew something was wrong. Inside the nation of Israel, they knew the kingdom was absent. They were divided into factions themselves. Many were unfaithful to the law. They knew the world wasn't how it was supposed to be. There was the demonic. There was sin. There was sickness and unfaithfulness all around them. And they all prayed day after day, year after year, something like this. God, will you do something? In verse 11, Jesus says, this parable reveals what God is doing in the world. He says it's the secret of the kingdom of God. It's from a Greek word, mysterion, where we get our word mystery. And this word secret, this word mystery, doesn't really mean riddle. It doesn't mean that it's really hard to figure out. What it means is it's something that has to be told to you. You can't figure it out by your common sense. It has to be revealed. And so Jesus says, my parable reveals how the kingdom of God really works. And the mystery is this. How would God address the problems? How would God save his people? Through the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in our parable, the planting, the kingdom comes from the word. Seed, of course, for any farming, any garden, is the promise of a future. The harvest and all their food is dependent on seed. And if there's no seed, there'd be no planting and no harvest. And in an agrarian culture, that would mean there would be famine and death following. In the same way, the establishment of God's kingdom is completely dependent on the word. This is why Jesus says the seed is the word, right? He explains that in the parable. And Jesus' pattern of ministry has made this clear. He is going to establish God's kingdom through a message. Unlike human kingdoms, founded by force, military victory, political alliance, Jesus will found his kingdom on a message. And this is why Jesus so often runs from the crowd, runs from opportunities to do miracles, because his priority is preaching. That's what he came to engage in. His kingdom is a reality he proclaims into existence. So Jesus' teaching is more important than his miracles. The people actually need his message more than they need to see him in person. That's why 
he calls the disciples to join him in preaching. So how you heard this word and how you responded mattered. Because if Jesus' new reality, if Jesus' new kingdom is something he's proclaiming into existence, how do you participate? How do you join it? By hearing, by responding. And verse 10 tells us that after he was alone, after the crowds had left, the twelve and those with them are asking him about the parables. The word really means they were continuing to ask. They were asking him over and over. They wanted to know about the kingdom. They wanted to know about this promise of how can I be right with God? They wanted to know what this harvest that was coming would be. And Jesus is happy with their response. Apparently, these are the ones who would know the kingdom and experience its blessing. They are trying to understand the parable. That's the response Jesus is looking for. Because if Jesus' kingdom is established by his word, of course, he sees people trying to understand it, trying to listen to it, and he knows they are the ones receiving the kingdom. However, as Jesus speaks to them, he raises the stakes. He says how you respond to this teaching, in fact, is how you respond to God. And thus, Jesus quotes the words of the prophet Isaiah, which we read this morning. And he says that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear and not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament reading we read this morning in Isaiah 6. Isaiah, like all true prophets, is called to speak on behalf of God to the people. And Isaiah's message is there is a day of judgment coming because you are rebelling against God. The people worship other gods. They're willing to put their trust in anything except God. And Jesus quotes God's great indictment against the people and says it's true again. Even though God will send them a messenger warning them, they will keep hearing and they will never listen. They won't respond to the Lord. They will not turn. They will not be healed. And Jesus says he has a ministry much like Isaiah. Jesus is truly bringing good news. But that doesn't mean they will all hear or respond. Many will not hear his message. Why? Not because they're rejecting this teaching specifically, but because they're rejecting God. So how you treat Jesus' teaching how you treat the word is how you treat God. Those outside of Jesus' kingdom might hear the parables, and they will keep doing so without forgiveness. They will hear his teaching, like the Pharisees, and not understand. They will see his miracles and never see God's kingdom. There's a famous preacher from London named Charles Spurgeon. He had a famous saying, the same son that melts the ice, hardens the clay. The same gospel, which melts some people to repentance and faith, hardens others in their sins. This is often how God works. By the same means, he will bless and he will judge. God sends a prophet to bring judgment, but it would lead some to great hope and salvation. Only those in fellowship with Jesus, asking about the parables, are those responding to God. It is those who respond to Jesus, they seek to understand his word, who are receiving God, and the rest are outside. 
no matter what else is true of them. So like the prophet Isaiah, the only ones who can receive the good news of the Messiah are the ones who respond to the message. Jesus says, not much has changed since Isaiah's day. A day of judgment is coming, and many will hear and be judged. There were many who would be hardened in their unbelief by Jesus' bright light. But some would see. So, when we read these verses, they can feel hard. And we can wonder, did Jesus mean for the parables to be hard to understand? Did he mean to trick people even? Jesus teaches in parables so often. Why? Is it because they're stories people can relate to? I don't think so. Is it because he's trying to conceal his message? I don't think so. A parable, a story with a message, highlights the need to respond to that teaching. Right? Because if you hear a parable, you you know immediately just hearing the story doesn't mean you understand it. It doesn't mean you're getting the message. If you hear one of Aesop's fables about a tortoise and a hare, at the end of the story, you know, well, there has to be a point to this story. And it causes you to think, I have to go do more than hear the story. I have to understand it. Jesus speaks so often in parables because he's challenging the crowd to listen to him on greater than a surface level. There's something else going on we need to understand if we're going to respond. So, are the parables easy to hard to understand? They are meant to be understood through attention. Jesus' parables have their own messages. Jesus tells the story of the sower to the crowd, and they are meant to go, well, why did he tell us a story about farming? And some people do just that, don't they? They come and ask him. Jesus teaches in parables to prevent the wrong kind of hearing. He teaches this way so you don't go, I get it. There's not much more I need to respond to. If you want to understand him, you must seek it out. You have to become a disciple. Jesus speaks in parables to highlight how you hear matters. Because there's only one way to hear and encounter the kingdom. This is the message of the parable. Hearing matters, and not all hearing is equal. This is why I would like to suggest an alternative title to this parable. Perhaps you'll like it. I think this is the parable of the bad soils. I think this title captures the focus of the parable even better than the parable of the sower. Because if you look at the verses, Jesus spends so much time on the description of each soil, doesn't he? And interestingly, Jesus never says who the sower is. That must not be as important to his point. In fact, Jesus doesn't even say what the good fruit is that will be born, does he? He doesn't say how to bear it. It must not be important to his point. He spends the majority of the parable and his explanation telling you exactly what kinds of soils can't bear fruit. This is because Jesus, the good arborist, is kneeling down and diagnosing what soil can hear the word of God in a way that would bear fruit. Because hearing isn't good enough. 
In Jesus' day, again, there are plenty of people who literally heard his audible voice and would not benefit from it. And so, to drive home this point, Jesus provides three examples of a hearing that will not benefit from his words. First, the seeds along the path, eaten by the birds. It's obvious this seed that makes no impact will never produce a harvest. And he says, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is a hearing where the word of God makes no impact. No doubt this would include the scribes and Pharisees who have rejected his teaching completely. The word of God, of course, will not benefit those who reject it. But there are many others who God's word doesn't make an impact on. There are those who hear God's word and are indifferent. Spiritual things are as irrelevant to them as the current events of Mars. There's also a kind of indifference of dead religion. They go to church because it's the right thing to do around the holidays or after you have kids. They're there to check off a box. And so for them, going to church is a lot like paying your taxes. It's kind of what you owe to God, but you should also minimize it by any loophole possible. And of course, the best pastors and best sermons are those who get them out early. Whatever their reason for coming, though, it has nothing to do with being impacted by the word. They might call themselves a Christian, but sadly, nothing would change for them if Jesus Christ had never died on the cross or rose again. And perhaps even sadder, for the one who continues to hear this way, Jesus' death and resurrection will never do them any good, even though it did happen. The hearing that makes no impact, whether it's indifference or rejection, is no good at all. Next, the soil sown on rocky ground. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The one who hears, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This soil is very different than the first, but it still cannot hear the word in a way that will bring any fruit. The soil is too shallow for the seed to take root, isn't it? This is actually a surprising warning for us. Hearing God's word with joy isn't enough either. The danger, of course, isn't joy, but it's the possibility that you could deceive yourself by your own excitement. Many people have assumed they're following Jesus because now, for the first time, they're excited about the Bible. Many people have assumed they're Christians because they've had some emotional experience. They, they remember some kind of a turning point. But their faith never makes it past this honeymoon phase. Optimism and emotions run high for a while, but things only run this way for so long. Jesus saw many people coming to him with excitement, didn't he? The crowds in this story are so intensely excited to get to him, he has to pull back on a boat to speak to them all. But Jesus says their joy and excitement doesn't mean they understand the kingdom at all. This passion won't last through any hardship or persecution for many. Even the most devoted, like Peter, Peter, excited, and promises his Lord, I will never fall away, even if everyone else does. We'll deny Christ under pressure. 
What does Peter's name mean again? Rock. The rocky soil, of course, is the Petrine soil. Many get excited about learning the Bible until they realize what it will cost them. Just do an over-under with me. What is the over-under of people who would stop going to church if there was significant danger involved today? I mean, quite honestly, how many people just never went back to church after COVID? I mean, they learned a truth about themselves. I guess this isn't really that important to me. We here at the church study the Gospel of Mark with lots of people. Uh, It's one of my great joys, one of my favorite things I get to do during the week. And I do this study, and I have done it many times with college students, and I always draw their attention to this soil. And it's handy that they're all sitting here so I can speak to them directly for a bit. College ministries are full of excited people, very excited about Jesus. And I think this is one of the things that makes these kinds of groups so attractive. For the first time, you're around people your age who care about the Bible and are excited. The problem is, studies today estimate students involved in the campus ministry, a third to a half don't continue with the Lord after graduation in any real way. It seems like all they had was excitement. They had no root. So once their Christian friends are gone, so is their faith. They had no seriousness. And so for the rest of their life, Even when they're old, the only time they can tell stories about God working in their life was when they were in college. Hmm. J.C. Ryle, the great British pastor, calls this the religion of a cut flower, beautiful for the moment but soon withering. He has a description of this rocky soil that is worth quoting at length, so listen for me. They can speak with joy and enthusiasm about the sweetness of the gospel and happiness which they experience listening to it. They can be moved to tears by the appeals of preachers, talk with earnestness of their own conflicts, hopes, struggles, desires, and fears. They are not like the careless or inattentive listeners. They are then tempted to think well of their own condition. They feel a pleasure in the preaching that they listen to and therefore flatter themselves that they have grace in their hearts. Yet they are thoroughly deceived. The old things have not passed away for them. There is no real work of conversion in their inward man. With all their feelings, affections, joys, hopes, and desires, they are actually still on the high road to destruction. Now to leave the college students alone for a little bit. You know where another place of great enthusiasm is? church plants. But eventually, too, that honeymoon ends. And Pastor Ben and I have been repeatedly warned that after two years, half the people who start with you will be gone and you will never see them again. Hmm. Because nothing exists on excitement forever. So you see, temporary excitement is no guarantee. Only hearing that perseveres through hardship is a persevering and a hearing that can bear fruit. The final bad soil, the philosopher Peter Kreeft calls the American soil. He asks, why are there so few American saints? He answers this question quoting Jesus' description of the third soil. And they are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things 
enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. These are those who have found a way to keep hearing Christianity and never bear its fruit. This can be especially confusing to us because it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with their faith. Everything in their Christian life can seem to be in order. What's wrong instead is their relationship to the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. They are preoccupied. If you ask them how they're doing, they will say, really busy. They have little kids. They have just started careers. They have grandkids. There are vacations. There is travel. They are consumed by the cares of this life. So trying to add Christianity would overwhelm their already frantic and misdirected lives. They are deceived by riches. If they don't have enough, they think, once I have enough, I'll pursue the Lord. If they're rich, they believe they'll be satisfied with more. Maybe then they'll be even more generous. If you are like me and are in what we would call the messy middle, you have cares pulling you in every direction. Kids, inflation, vacations, family, retirement, work, in-laws, and on and on and on. And so, my fellow Americans, maybe the only time I say that, <laughs> you shouldn't be surprised if fellowship and fruit of Christ do not come easily to you. We are not listening if we don't think following Christ will cause us to give up some things we want. Christians throughout the centuries have had to forego the good things of this life. The Apostle Paul forewent marriage. The Apostles forewent um, lives of plenty for the sake of the kingdom. Today, many Americans also put off marriage, don't they? But they do it for the sake of a career or saving money or establishing a lifestyle they want for fire, financial independence, retiring early, so they can enjoy for the first time in history as a group of people 50 years of leisure. Pursuit of this kind of leisure in our day doesn't even just choke out hearing the word, but having a life that matters at all. These are the soils that cannot bear fruit. And they are compared with the good soil, representing the only kind of hearing that Jesus is interested in. But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This hearing is active, it's continual, right? It's yielding, it's accepting, it's receiving. All the other people heard the word, but this person does it continually. They hear, they discern, they affirm, they respond in obedience. Is that how you listen? Because God's word promises a huge harvest is coming. There are those who will really hear it. If we as a church plant want to see the kingdom of God form around us and through us, this is the plan. Rely on the power of the word. Listen to the word and watch the fruit. This was the apostles' plan, wasn't it? 
This is what their opponents accused them of doing. They couldn't stop them from doing. Their opponents said, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. May we be guilty of the same here in Eau Claire. And the word did the work. It found good soil. This is the plan. This is the future of the church. And your spiritual life depends on how we listen. If we listen, though, with hard hearts, if we listen only during a honeymoon phase, if we plan on listening sometime later when there's less on our plates, we will never see the kingdom of God. Why can't soils, why can't people like this bear fruit? Well, it's the same reason even though I'm a great multitasker, I'm often a bad listener. The one thing these kinds of listening can't do is create fellowship with God. They cannot find friendship with God. This, all this listening, they might get nice stories, life advice, excitement. They might see miracles. They might learn something new. But they're not experiencing fellowship with God. And so they are not entering his kingdom. Only those who hear and respond get the kingdom. No other kind of listening gets friendship. No other kind of listening creates fellowship with God. You don't get a relationship with God simply by hearing, do you? You're not right with God because you're here today. And real friendships, we know, don't depend on feelings or excitement. In fact, good relationships solidify during hardship. And good relationships do not preoccupy themselves with other things. So what was my question today? Do you have the kind of life that the word of God can bear fruit in? Why are you listening? There's only one kind of listening that matters, and it's the kind that is seeking friendship with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear the word of Christ. Let us hear and accept it. Let us hear and understand it. Let us hear and respond to it with obedience. Let us hear and see the fruit born. Show us the power of your word again. Show it to us as individuals and as your little flock, building the kingdom of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.